listening to She's a Powerhouse. My name is Holly Calloway, and I'm here to share with you some stories of ordinary women who have done some extraordinary things in hopes that you'll get comfortable being uncomfortable, be okay with pushing your boundaries, and do some extraordinary things yourself. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of She's a Powerhouse. Today, I am so excited to have our guest. Uh, Taryn Shear is here with us, and she owns TK PR, which is a PR agency where I am from in Greenville, South Carolina. And she's also going to be one of our speakers for the Shattered Glass Symposium coming up in October. So welcome, Taryn. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad to have you here. Okay, now what what we were just saying, I was trying to get this right, because this is um, what I'm really like, I I love this about you. Um, You run, you run PR for Greenville, their destination. Repeat that back to me. You tell me what it yeah. is because it's very technical. So for Visit Greenville SC, which is the official destination marketing organization for all of Greenville County. So basically our job is to promote tourism to Greenville. And my job specifically is to do the PR for Visit Greenville SC. So it's my job to bring journalists to Greenville, make them fall in love with Greenville and then want to go home and write about us or just convince them via my language and my um, amazing personality about how great you want to write about. That is, that is so awesome. And that's the reason we're on so many like top 10 lists and like reasons that you should visit blah, blah, blah. That's you guys, right? Definitely. Yes. It's funny. A few years ago, my husband and I had a longstanding joke. Anytime a story would come out about Greenville, he'd be like, did you get this? And I always used to be able to say yes. And now I can't always say yes anymore because there are so many great PR people that are promoting businesses and our destination in general that, you know, kind of the great thing happened where like Greenville struck and now people are becoming more and more familiar with it. And it's not just because of us anymore. So that's a great, great situation. Yeah, like a great, not a, not even a great problem to have, but a great outcome from all of that hard work that you did as other people are promoting it as well. And that's what you that want, was kind right? of almost yeah. to work yourself out of a job, right? To where you don't it's, even have to promote. That as is hard exactly as you right. Like I'm, I'm all about the rising tide floats all ships. And the more yes. people that are essentially helping me do my job, we all win. Right. I love that so much. I love that so much. That's so perfect. So tell me about, um, first of all, how you got started in PR. How does a person find themselves in that position? Well, first I found myself in New York City, fresh out of college, looking for any job. And my parents sent me there. My parents were wonderful. They gave me rent for the summer and they said, by the end of the summer, you need to have a job and be paying your own rent. And so I basically just started, you know, pounding the pavement and interviewing wherever I could and totally unintentionally wound up getting a lot of interviews in the fashion industry. I had no desire to be in the fashion industry. I'd always loved shopping, but really didn't have any sense of style whatsoever. And I wound up getting a temp job for the summer with a fashion company that ultimately led to a series of events that got me my first job offer. And it was for a small startup company in Manhattan that um, was internationally known and popular, but they had never been in the States before. And so it was a little bit of a gamble, but the opportunity came as more of an executive assistant role. And only six months into that, I walked into my boss's office and I basically called out our PR firm at the time and said, you're literally paying them eight times my salary and they're doing nothing. Like I'm, I'm, not a scientist here, but I can tell you for a fact that we should be getting more press for what we're doing here. 
And he kind of looked me in the eye and just said, like, what do you know about this? And, and I said, just give me a chance. And he said, okay, here's your chance. Go do whatever you want for the next three months. And if you can come back and prove to me that you've done something, the job is yours. And so three months later, he fired the PR firm, gave me a promotion. And I learned everything I could about PR. And really at that time, I was doing a little bit of marketing and advertising. And as the in-house role often goes, you wind up doing not just the PR, but you wind up really kind of taking the whole umbrella actually in that job. That last little piece cut out there. Could you repeat just from, um, he gave me a raise and... Yeah, so he gave me the raise and then I basically took over all of the operations in terms of PR and marketing went in-house. And as I've found over the years and learning more about agency side and in-house, you know, when you are in-house, a lot of times you're wearing all of the hats in terms of PR. So it was kind of a great crash course for me in terms of learning PR and marketing and advertising, everything from lookbooks and photo shoots and really everything. And it was just the beginning of the digital age when it comes to magazines and e-commerce and that nature. So, you know, it was it was a great opportunity for me to learn everything at once and be that in-house person. And when I found out I was moving to South Carolina for my husband's job, I went to that company and it was at a time where remote work was was starting to become more popular. And I said, you know, I can do this from anywhere. And they said, okay. And so their, their one condition with me was that I wouldn't stay an employee of the company, but that I would start my own agency for lack of a better word, and that they'd be my first client. So they, they really started the company for me without me really realizing what was happening at the time. That's amazing. And how long ago was that? That was in 2007. So, And then that's phenomenal. And then how has your company grown since then? Um, well, I no longer have any clients in the fashion industry, which I am extremely grateful for. Um, it was a very <laughs> high pressure. I love fashion, yeah. but um, the industry itself, you know, I remember there was one night early in my career where I was tracking an international package because I was worried it wasn't going to make it to the Vogue offices in times. And, and it sounds so trite and silly to say out loud, but I mean, I was literally up at midnight tracking this package, wondering whether or not it was going to get there in time for a photo shoot. And my husband, I remember walked out of our bedroom and he was like, are you coming to bed? Like I'm on call and I have to be up in four hours. And I was like, like it was one of those life perspective moments of like, he's literally going to go save someone's life tomorrow. And I'm worried about a skirt. <laughs> like, yep, yep. <laughs> can't be okay. And yeah. so, you know, at the time there was nothing I could do about it. But once I went out on my own and I started to work with some other industries and just get some more life experience, I kind of reprioritized and, and being in the fashion industry was just a, a space that I just didn't feel like was home to me anymore, a place that I really wanted to be. So um, I made a very concerted effort over the next few years to pivot off of that and get more into the travel and hospitality space where I just found people were not as hungry, literally, and um, that therefore made them happy. And so um, well-fed people are very happy. <laughs> and so um, I, I slowly was able to get out of the fashion space and more into the consumer products and travel and hospitality side of things where I've sort of my over the years. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Sorry, and we're good? Okay. Sorry, I was worried you were cutting out just a little bit there again. Um, that's phenomenal. And so now that we were, were here, how many people do you know that are 
women doing what you do with their own companies in this industry? It's funny because, you know, I, I see so many times how, you know, we are working together to lift women up and I must live in a bubble because I feel like almost everyone that I deal with is a women owned business. Like That's I just, amazing. I've found myself in a space over the years where I've just either unintentionally or subconsciously connected with, with other women business owners. And it's just sort of happened very naturally and very organically. And I found myself very just drawn to people who are doing something similar in that we're entrepreneurs or that we're taking hold of our own lives, not necessarily similar in terms of the the space that we play in. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's been amazing to me. Like, I've never thought being a female in business was, I've never looked at it as anything, not a setback, not anything. I just thought it was normal. Like, and I, I think part of that, my dad raised me that I could do whatever I wanted. And that, you know, if I wanted to go out and open my own business one day, I could. And being a female was never part of a conversation that was going to hold me back. I was never taught that in life, that that was ever going to be an issue. And so I, it never was in the back of my mind as something that would even become an issue. And, and I've never really let it be an issue either. I've never, Mm -hmm. I've never used that as a crutch or even, even allowed myself to think that it could be a crutch. So, um, you know, I just, I think that's a really important mentality to instill in the next generation too, is, is, just wipe that out of the conversation. Don't even have that be a part of the conversation. We don't, I, I think the more that you, you start to let people think it's what's holding them back, the more it will actually hold them back. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that mentality. And I love the way you come out that and that it was never a thing for you. I was the same way. I grew up with a mom who was doing whatever the heck she felt like and taught us that we could do the same thing. And it wasn't until I was like deep into some of these businesses that I started to recognize when I was the only woman in a room and thought, well, that's odd. Like why, why, why am I the only woman here out of 12 people? Why am, why am I the only female and why aren't there all the women here with me kind of thing? And that was sort of when I went back and started doing some of the, um, sort of the starting on this journey of women's empowerment that I've been on specifically so that there would be other women in the room with me and trying to figure out why, it was always the case or that seemed to be the case so often. And I found that women do let that hold them back, assuming that that's going to be an issue when a lot of times, as long as you stand up and are present, it's not, it's not the type of issue that you would think it would be. You're exactly. And I've it often. I, you know, I remember when I first moved here again, I I had this, if I want it, I'm just going to go after it kind of mentality. And so there were a couple of boards that I wanted to be on. And so I started volunteering and getting involved. And then once I got on the boards, I realized exactly that I was not only the youngest person in the room by about 20 years, but I was one of maybe two females in the room. Mm-hmm. And it, it was sort of a, a very eye-opening experience for me because again, it was just never something I had considered or had really wrap my head around that that was even a possibility you know it Mm -hmm. just the way that i was brought up was that you could do whatever you want and and it didn't matter your gender and and so that was something that was very interesting for me to become aware of and i i honestly have watched most of the boards that i've sat on are here in greenville and i've watched greenville change in such a positive way to the point that i've now sat on boards where there have only been two men in the room and the majority of the board is female and so i think there's been a really great shift that's taking place and i I attribute a lot of that to the younger people that are moving in people that are moving in from elsewhere that are just bringing in you know 
big city mentalities, just just various life experiences that are coming to the table and saying, I want to be here too. Absolutely. Oh, I can't agree with you more that yeah. And it, there are more people than with that same sort of growth mentality that you and I had growing up in that we don't think about the gender first, or we don't think about age first. We think about, do I want to do the thing? And then we go after the thing. And that's a huge mindset sort of shift that needs to happen in a lot of people, especially those who are more born and raised. I feel like in the South where, um, it's maybe not necessarily as inherent. So I love that that's something that like you bring to the table is that, yeah, I never even thought about it, that it just, it always was. And that's amazing. Um, in building your business then, what have been some of the biggest struggles between say 2007 when you moved and then now today and where you're at now? You know, from an industry itself, when I first got here, I came from a city where like your dog has a PR person, right? Like everyone <laughs> has a PR person. Like it's just like the first thing you do if you're going to start a company or like literally like you're born and you have a PR person. But when I got here, that wasn't so common. And there was a lot of education that had to take place. People didn't understand what PR was or why they would need it or the value in it. And that's still, I mean, I think as an industry in general, not even just to Greenville, it, it's still a difficult conversation for people that haven't come up with it, that that weren't part of an organization that appreciates and understands it because it's not a direct ROI. You know, if you're talking to somebody in the C-suite, it's really hard to put on paper how they're going to be able to measure the results of a PR campaign. Right. Um, so that in itself, I think it has been challenging, but continues to get better. And certainly, you know, the prevalence of people has been significant. And I think more and more people are open to the idea and realize how great a PR program can be. I mean, even, even Greenville is a great example of that. You know, nobody was doing Greenville's PR at the time when I got here. And I saw that there was an opportunity for that to tell the Greenville story. And ultimately that's, that's how I got the job. They weren't really looking for a PR firm. I just sort of fell into their lap by accident because I was already doing it. Mm. And so I think, I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen in a positive trajectory is, is that the mindset and the understanding of, of big city is really taking place now in Greenville. Yeah. I love that. How did, how did that fall into your lap? Like how, what was that process like where you became the person who was putting Greenville on the map? So, um, this is a true ridiculous story. I have a lot of true ridiculous stories, mm -hmm. but, um, so when They're we moved favorite. here, my husband was in residency at GHS and back then residents were still allowed to do like the 30 hours overnight and then three days, you know, regular Ooh, yeah. and then 30 hours again. And so basically every three days he was on call overnight in the hospital and we didn't know anyone here. I was working from home. So we really came into a situation where our only friends were his fellow interns with him at the hospital. And so I needed to go out and make my own friends. And so I started going to an adult hip hop dance class downtown on Tuesday nights. And oh. as time went on, I made a friend there and we didn't really ever talk about work, but we just kind of hung out every Tuesday. And finally, you know, six months in, she finally said to me, so what do you do? And I told her and she said, you know, I'm on the board. <laughs> Funny enough, your life comes full circle. I'm on the board of this um, food and wine festival here in town and we could totally use a PR person. And so I got really excited. I went home and I put together a proposal and I went into the board um, and I didn't do any homework on who was on the board. You know, I was very green. I was very young and didn't really understand the 
the back game of any of this at that point. And uh, I put together a proposal to take over the PR for what was called at the time um, Southern Exposure. And they said, you are wonderful and we'd love to have you, but we don't have any budget. And I said, that's okay. I don't have any friends. So if you guys would be my friends and kind of teach me the ropes here in Greenville, um, then I would be glad to do this pro bono for you. And they said, okay. And that festival the following year rebranded to Euphoria. And I continued to do their PR for pro bono for six years. Um, but somewhere around year two or three, what happened was, I had learned from prior experiences that doing PR for a festival isn't always going to get you the ink in the magazines, but if you can take a much big, bigger picture approach to it, then you're likely to get the coverage. And so I had realized that Greenville had a really great emerging food story happening. And so even though I was really only tapped for this PR, I thought it would get me a lot farther. And so I was hosting journalists in Greenville and bringing them to town and nobody was really funding it. I mean, Euphoria was paying the bills, but it wasn't really, you know, there was no strategy behind it. There was no real thought behind it. If, you know, they wanted to go eat a restaurant, I would literally go knock on the restaurant's door two days before and ask them if they'd be willing to host a journalist at their restaurant. And so finally, someone from uh, the Visitors Bureau, at the time Visit Greenville SC was called the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Uh, they called me up and they said, you know, we keep hearing your name around town. We, we're hearing that you're bringing journalists and you're landing these stories. I literally landed Greenville in the Oprah magazine as one of Oprah's oh, favorite wow. things. And they were like, can you come talk to us? You know, we, we don't know what you're doing, but we'd like to hear some more. And so I went in and I met with them. And at the time there was absolutely no leisure focus for Greenville. So any tourism that we were promoting was specifically for meetings and conventions. And they brought me in under the condition that I would focus the majority of my efforts on meetings and conventions press and not so much on the leisure. But at the time, I kind of did like what Violet Beauregard does, where she crosses her fingers and puts them behind her back and says, OK, <laughs> give, give me the gobstopper. Like, that's basically what I did. Like, give me the gobstopper. I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing, but I'll sprinkle in some of your meetings and conventions press. But let me just keep going on the path that I'm going. And ultimately, obviously, that worked out very well. A few years later, they completely rebranded and refocused they did the opposite shift, right? So 80% of their strategy shifted to leisure where the other 20% stayed on meetings and conventions. They realized there was a massive opportunity that we were missing out on. And of course, all of the work that I had done at that point just went right to play into exactly what the path forward was going to be. So um, it kind of worked out. <laughs> that's yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And thank goodness for it too. Like we've all been to towns that are all about meetings and conventions and they're no fun. That's no, no fun. exactly. And, you that. know, Ew. It's It's been so interesting because I continue to tell people what, what makes Greenville so special is that this wasn't a place made for This place is special because it was made for people who are here to love where they live and love where they work and love where they play. And it just so happens that afterwards we thought, hey, maybe people would want to come visit also. And that's why it feels so natural. And that's why it's become such a great place not only to live, but also to visit because it, it was built for the people who live here, not for the people who are going to come spend four days here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's always something to do if you live here. Like if you came to visit, there's no way you could get through everything. It's like no, Disneyland. Exactly. Like you can't do it all. Exactly. No and that was one of my favorite things when we first moved here. Like literally every day there's something going on to do and it's affordable. I mean, it's just, 
it. I just love living here. And I think that's really ultimately what got me into this role was my passion for it. Like I just, I've never worked on anything that I wasn't totally passionate and in love with. And it just, that for me has to be, I have to be all in if I'm going to represent a brand. I just, I can't do it if I'm not a hundred percent behind it. There's no half-assing it. Never. I love that. I absolutely love that. Like we are cut from the same cloth, ma'am. That is so beautiful. So Sparkle Boss, where, where did, where did the, uh, the title Sparkle Boss come from? So when I started the business, I didn't have a business plan. I had literally no plan. Like it was at the time I was like, oh, my, my job in New York is going to let me keep my, like paying my bills. So, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't a branding process. There was nothing. There was throw a logo on a piece of paper and get a tax ID number. So it. it was about five years into the business that I finally realized, like, I've got to have a direction and some kind of vision for this. And it doesn't need to be formal on paper, you know, but I, I just need to have some kind of plan. And so I started working with a business coach and he's been just incredible. I'm still working with him now. And he he takes a more marketing mindset to a lot of of business coaching in that, like, what's your mental postcard? Like, how do people think about you? If they close their eyes, what are they saying about you? And so when it was time to kind of think about all of that, I actually went back to that first job that I got out of college with the fashion company. And a lot of times I would go visit, they had a retail space right on Fifth Avenue. So I would go to the store just to see kind of what was going on, what consumers were looking at. And one of the store employees, anytime I walked through the door, she would call me Sparkles. Hey, Sparkles. And I have no idea why. I I mean, I'm sure it's because I often have something on me that is sparkling or glittering in some capacity. But she just, like 22 years old, she just branded me as Sparkles. And it just... It was one of those things that as I looked within and was like, what color palette am I going to go with? How am I going to, you know, create a business card? I was like, this is, this has been inherent in my life since I was like five. Like I've always been the, the adult that's shopping next to 12 year olds in Claire's for like the sparkly things for my office. Like that's just who I am. And I thought, I don't think I need to look too far for this and just let it kind of take on its own life. And so that's exactly what happened. You know, I kind of look at sparkle as what's the headline, like what makes you sparkle? What makes your business special? Why do you stand out? And that's where kind of the idea of sparkle came from. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be overseeing this company, I don't need to be president because that's kind of boring. Like I can be the sparkle boss. I am the one who creates the sparkle. So that's, and now you made me want to like make my own title. Like forget CEO. Like That's boring. It's so much more fun. You know, I've seen there are only a handful of companies that I feel like have the chutzpah to do it. And every time I see someone's business card that says something just a little bit different, I remember it. I remember years yeah. ago, there was somebody in the marketing world that gave me their business card and his, his title was storyteller. And I was like, isn't that exactly right? I mean, that's what you do in marketing, right? And, and I just... Things like that tend to resonate. And I think people remember them. And then beyond that, you just kind of stay front of mind. I can't tell you how much I will walk into my office on any given day and there's a package waiting from like just a very loose colleague, somebody that I might interact with a couple times a year. And they found something that they thought of me, whether it's like a notebook that says, you know, don't leave your sparkle or whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying. But stuff shows up at my office all the time as little gifts because quote unquote, I saw this and thought of you. 
And that's, that's branding at its finest, right? You want somebody to see something and you're the first person that they think of. So as much as over the years, every once in a while, I think, should I change it? Should I do something? Every time I say, nope, nope, I am in this now. This is it. (laughs) This is it. Right. Then no changing it now. There's, it's too late to go back. Um, And it also led to a phenomenal photo shoot of you with like a glitter curtain and there's nothing better. You know, I think than those photos. It's been so funny how, how like, I don't even have to tell people like, like they just have picked up on the brand and get it immediately. And exactly when when uh, UVJ had called for that and they said, you know, we want to do a profile piece and we want to do a photo shoot. And the photographer called and he was like, I've got I've got some ideas. Are you game for anything? And I was like, I'm game for anything you want to do. You know, I trust you completely. You're not, you know, and I mean, they just got it right. And that was no creative input for me. That was entirely all them. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. I try not to take what I do. I take what I do extremely seriously, but I have to have fun with it. And, and that's to me, the most important part. I never want it to feel like work. Mm-hmm. And if it does, then I need, then that's not a space that I need to be in anymore. That is such a good piece of advice is that if it feels it, not that it's not hard, right? Like things will still be difficult, but if it's not something you're enjoying at the end of the day, then is it still worth doing? Exactly. And that's that's I mean, a huge, I love a challenge too. and I love a, a client that's in a space that I haven't been anymore. That requires me to push myself and to work harder. But ultimately, you know, if, if you notice yourself putting the same thing at the bottom of your to-do list every day, there's a reason for it. Right. And, exactly. and if it's, if you're banging your head against a wall, it, it's, it's time you know, it's, it's got it. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. If, if the last year taught us anything, it's life's too short. You've just got to, you've got to enjoy it every single day. Absolutely. Could you see yourself doing anything else? Not anymore. You know, it's funny. (laughs) I never thought I'd be a business owner. I certainly never even considered PR as a career. I don't even think I knew what PR was honestly, until I got to New York, Mm -hmm. but now, never. I could never go back. I absolutely love what I do. I mean, love what I do. I don't even feel like I work. I joke a lot that I play for a living and I have, you know, some some older colleagues that say, don't say that, you know, people won't take you seriously. But I mean, I don't feel I work. I mean, I sit in front of a computer for usually eight hours a day, but ultimately I feel like I'm not working. You know, I feel yeah. like I'm literally having the time of my life every day. Well, and I feel like that doesn't, that I don't, at least from our generation or my generation, on, I don't think that that would make anybody think that you don't take your job seriously. I think we think that means you win the game. You know what I mean? Like you do something you love to do. I think think there is a a generation that is, is getting that now. Absolutely. I think you're right. I do think you're right. So what if I ask you, what do you feel like your greatest moment of success is? What comes to mind first? My kids which is crazy. Like for me to say that, you know, I, I came into this life and my, even my marriage, not knowing whether or not I would want to even have kids. And I honestly, I'm not, I don't like babies. I don't like other people's kids very much. (laughs) And I'm like the worst possible role model to come out and say, but I mean, they have completely changed my life in a way that I never thought possible. I, I honestly, I just, everything I do now is for them. And I, they, they've changed me in a really positive way also. And, and I just, I can't believe I gave you that as my answer, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. That was, and that was exactly what I was hoping for was whatever popped into your mind first. How old are your kids? They are five and six. Oh, wow. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I bring them off into my office. I'm literally living for the day that I can put them on a plane with me so they can come see me speak at a conference. You know, before I had them, I was traveling a lot more than I am now just to speak at conferences. And now I just pick and choose a lot more. But I've already bought my older daughter. I have this newspaper print dress that I wear almost every time I speak at a conference. Don't tell anyone because like, if you see me at a conference, I'll probably be wearing it, but it kind of just goes with my brand. And I usually pair it with some sparkly shoes because it got to have the sparkle, but I was able to find a little tiny person version of the dress. And so I figure as soon as I can bring her to a conference with me, she can wear that dress. So that's kind of my, you know, I, I want them to see that. I want them to see mom working and mom running your own business and mom doing just as much for this household so that they grow up and that's normal to them. And that's the way it's just going to be. Absolutely. Well, if you bring them to this conference, I will have my daughter there at least, and she's eight, so they can hang out Amazing. and get along and watch the mommies together getting well, there like speaking that would be on that's awesome awesome um that I gosh just I love that that's what you came up with for for that moment of success because I yeah I feel that too and and the further we get into um how long at least my business has been open and how hard we work and my kids watching and yeah it is it's huge for them to see what it's like to have both parents working or or you know what non-traditional work sort of looks like when you're running your own thing and to know that that's possible as well. Um, tell us just briefly what you're planning to touch on for the shattered glass symposium, just like a, a taste, an idea. Super funny that your previous question just alluded to this, but Mm -hmm. essentially I want to address the idea of can women have it all because, you know, I, ever since I moved to New York, like that definition of what it all is, has always sort of been in the back of your mind. Like, what is it all? Like, is it the career? Is it the family? Is it the husband? What is it? Is it, you know, is it making your own money? And, you know, I've, it's a topic that I think about almost daily because every day you have to sacrifice something, right? Whether it's, I can't go to your soccer game today because I've got to go into this meeting or I can't take that meeting because I really want to see your, your dance recital or, you know, whatever, or I can't take that client because I don't have time to do it right now. There's always got to be a sacrifice, but is there actually a balance that the answer is yes, you can have it all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's taken me 15, 16 years career wise to kind of figure this out, but Hopefully I will have some version of an answer by the time October rolls around. <laughs> You've got a couple more months to figure it out. So that's beautiful. I love that. And then very last question, what would you tell a woman who is on the fence about living a nine to five and wanting to jump in? What's the thing that you need to know before you jump into running your own thing? Stop thinking so hard about it. I see. So for me, I didn't have the opportunity to sit down and weigh pros and cons. And I didn't have the opportunity to put together the business plan and to gruel over it and to redo it 12 times. And I've actually watched some colleagues and friends go through that process because they had the luxury of time. And the luxury of time actually, I think, was a detriment to them because it, it, prolonged the inevitable by months, if not years, they knew they were going to do it, but they spent so long getting to that point where they felt like they could finally do it. Just do it. Like if you know that you can't fail because you simply can't fail, it's not an option. That's enough. You don't need to plan out every aspect because I guarantee you things are going to turn left and right and go backwards and forwards 15 times none of what you plan for, but if you're in it and failure is not an option from day one, then you're going to be just fine. Yeah. I love that. Just go ahead and, and take the leap. 
like, and build the plane on the way down if you need to thinking about it and just do it. The rest will fall into place as it needs to. Oh, I love that so much, especially when it's all in alignment. That is absolutely beautiful. Fantastic. Taryn, thank you so much. We're so looking forward to having you in October. I appreciate the time that you've spent with us and all of the beautiful little nuggets that you gave and for sharing about your career with us. Um, And we will see you in October. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Holly. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to that episode of She's a Powerhouse. If you loved this, whatever platform you're on right now, why don't you go down and hit that subscribe button if you're feeling super nice. You can leave us a review, leave us a comment, and share us with other badass women in your life.